The person's story is the reason the business exists. We know what a facility will cost between A and C. We know we can build it between A and C. It's really important to look at both the body and the mind. I'm Richard Gerhart. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhart. You've just heard some snippets from our show. Stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, full service intellectual property law firm. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, everyone, the show that's all about entrepreneurship, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. And we have Tanya Eberhart, founder of Brandface, author and host of Bebo Branding Podcast. And we have Christopher DiPaolo, who has Protex. He helps you do a project and controls costs in a very unique way, better than anybody else. We're going to let him tell you all about it. And then we have Martha Lewis with the Complete Sleep Solution. And I got to tell you, I was really surprised when I read the write-up on her because this is really different. So I'm really looking forward to hearing her talk about this. Yeah, me too. I just hope we don't all fall asleep during the broadcast. (laughs) Not because of the way you present, but it's like once you start thinking about these things. So anyway, before we get to our distinguished panel. Okay, uh, IP in the news. So I found this article by Bob Zeidman. Can a human patent a space alien's invention? What a fascinating question here, because, you know, the government has been releasing UFO footage, and I, for one, am pretty confident that there are aliens who do visit the Earth on a regular basis basis and pretend to be people sometimes and yeah sometimes they (laughs) pretend to be people and so it's a major concern to me because if somebody who is an alien comes into the office looking like a human being and i file a patent for them there's a question about whether or not that's actually going to be a valid patent so bob took the trouble to actually run through the analysis and the bottom line is no if you are an alien you can't legitimately get a patent under the u.s patent laws But he makes some interesting comments. And the first one is he talks about pirated technology. So for a long time, the U.S. relied on technology that they got from other countries. This was like back right around the Revolutionary War times, the 1800s. And the laws were set up in a way that people could patent inventions from like Europe or somewhere else, and they could get a U.S. patent for it, which is really kind of the reverse of the way we think about intellectual property now, where we think we're like the major drivers of intellectual property and other countries are ripping off our technology. Uh, There's also the patent cooperation treaty now. So all the countries are working together. Right. And now everybody pretty much has the same rules, but he references this guy, Francis Cabot Lowell, who invented the power loom. Well, he actually saw one in England, brought it over to the United States. He patented it and made a fortune on it. And normally you can't do that. Right. But I like the one Samuel Slater sailed around the world in 1789 memorized the inventions he came across and he memorized these spinning frames and got a U.S. patent for water-powered textile mill becoming very wealthy. President Andrew Jackson dubbed him the father of American manufacturers. The English dubbed him Slater the traitor. <laughs> so anyway, enough of this. It's time for Richard's Roundtable. And so it's time to get the view of our guests on this very important topic of whether aliens from outer space can or should be able to get U.S. patents. So we're going to start with Tanya. Tanya, welcome to the show. Do you have any thoughts on this? Oh, what a fascinating subject. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I say if, if the rules and the laws exist, you have to abide by the laws of the land, right? right? So when aliens invade... If they don't invade legally, right, (laughs) and they're adhering to the laws of the land, then uh, yes, you should be able to patent something that an alien invents. Right. And we're talking about space aliens here, folks, not other types of aliens. Yes, of course. That's an interesting comment. And the same debate came up with AI and computer-generated inventions. And the question was, could a computer own a patent? The courts decided, no, you couldn't do that. So alien, I guess, would also be in that same kind of category. Tanya? It's interesting in that I guess it shouldn't matter whether you're an alien or not. If you're a creator, right, you're a creator and you should have the right to protect your work regardless of race, creed or whatever 
alienship you are. That is really an expansive view. Well, Chris, tell us what you think about this topic. Well, I wouldn't think we should allow them to do it because the idea would be that we could uh, understand their technology, which is probably far advanced from ours, and therefore it's to help us get ahead in our technology escalation as well. But then patenting might limit the ability of other Americans or Earthlings to uh, advance technology. That's kind of where I'm at. I think we have to learn how to defend ourselves. And could you imagine all the infringement suits that could be bought by the <laughs> aliens that would just like paralyze the court system and the American economy? It could be an awful thing. So Martha, what do you think about all of this stuff? I don't know as much about the legal ramifications of everything, but I tend to agree with Kenya that it should be inclusive. And if they are on this earth inventing things that can help us, then they should be allowed to patent it as well. I definitely get that. Very interesting topic. That came from IP Watchdog. That's where I found it. So yes. it's on to our guest, Tanya Eberhardt, the founder of Brandface and author and host of the Be Bold Branding podcast. And we're really looking forward to her presentation today. She focuses on personal branding. And as Elizabeth mentioned before the show, everybody has a personal brand, whether they know it or not. The question is just what is that brand? And so Tanya, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what is a personal brand as compared to other types of brands? Well, a personal brand is basically instead of how you feel about a particular company or the reputation of a company, what that company is known for, it's how you feel about a particular person and what they're known for. We've focus a lot on helping people who are the face of their business. So they're very closely tied, right? Mm -hmm. They're closely tied because the person's story is the reason the business exists in our case. And so they're very closely tied, but I would agree with Elizabeth, you know, everybody does have a personal brand. You just want to make sure that you ask yourself the question, is it representing you well, the way you deserve to be seen? That's an interesting question. So what if your personal brand is unsavory in some respects? You know, everybody has sort of these different elements in their life. And so do you only pick the good parts? You know, tolerance is very important when it comes to personal branding, because you're being very vulnerable. You are being very transparent in sharing your story because, you know, our mantra is people don't do business with a logo. They do business with a person. So you want to get to know that human being behind the story and that human being has flaws, right? We're not all perfect. I didn't get here being perfect. I'm not perfect now. I don't have a perfect story and most people don't. And I think that is what makes us human to one another. And it's frankly the part that I love the most. It's like, how do we take the things that have been the most painful and the biggest struggles in your life and turn them into something so beautiful that you can share with the world that can change somebody's life. And I, I realized, you know, we might've thought we were coming here today to talk about personal branding and photo shoots and logos, but it's a whole lot more than that. In the end, it's really about creating what you want people to see and know about you. There are a lot, a lot of companies out there saying, I can help you build your brand. I can help you build your brand. But really when you dial it in, it's like they're building your website or they're helping you with a YouTube strategy, yeah. or they're building a funnel for you if you're a coach or consultant, right? But they're not building the brand and the brand that has to be built first is kind of like the foundation of a house. If you're a contractor, you can't just put windows on nothing. <laughs> you have to have that foundation. Right. And in my notes here, it says your favorite statement is a great brand doesn't just change the way others see you. It changes the way you see yourself. So that's one thing. But I feel like we're kind of leading into this question that I wanted to ask you. And that is, what is your 3D formula to a bold and unbeatable brand? Because we all need that. The 3D formula is define, develop and display, define that ideal customer. Who is it that you're trying to attract into your business and your life every day? Your point of differentiation. What are those things that make you so unique? Not better because better is subjective. You know, what might be better for Kenya might not be better for Chris, but different is inarguable. So we look at those things that make you unique. And then it's kind of like this beautiful formula you put together to say, okay, based on who you're trying to attract and the things that truly set you apart, which of these are we going to focus on and put out there first, put out in front to help us attract 
the people that we want to attract. So that's the definition phase in the development. It's simply creating all those things that people think about when it comes to branding. They think about logos and colors and photo shoots and brand messaging, which to me is by far the most important part. It's that language that articulates kind of who you are, who you serve, how you serve them, what qualifies you to do that and how it makes their life better. And then once you complete the development of all those parts and pieces that allow you to communicate what you're all about, then you display that. You put your brand messaging on social media, on your website, on all your collateral materials. You put the imagery that goes along with that message, the photos of you, the logos, things like that. You pull all that together, whether it means design or just you know popping them into a template on social media where you've got your about information. Now you've got the really great about information. It's really dialed in. So those are the three, and they're super simple things to do, but they're very transformational because when people do those things, it does change the way they see themselves. And that to me is the most incredible part of what we do. Making money and helping them increase their business is great, but I love to see that transformation when they say, that's me. Wow. I didn't realize I'd accomplished all that. Yeah. I got to say one thing. You have to be careful about the photos you put on Google because I don't know how to get new pictures on there because you can only use the pictures that Google has. I actually had some hair when that picture was taken. They're from 15 years ago. They hang around forever on Google. They hang around forever. And I'll tell you where a lot of them are coming from, the old Google Plus format. And it's all the stuff that was in there years ago stayed there. (laughs) And then you don't always think of like an Amazon. Sometimes when you Google me, my old, old book cover shows up from Amazon on the Google search. Well, I got rid of that old cover a long time ago, but it still continues to show up. So I go into Google. I try to find where I change that out. I change it out. It still shows up sometimes. (laughs) So you do have to be careful with what goes out there in the, you know, cyber world for sure, because it does hang around. You can control a lot of that. There's some that you just like, if you try and figure it out, we're both going to be here till Sunday and no smarter. Right. Well, so I see a new business for a tech person. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Instead of reputation management, we have <laughs> photo management. Right. So I wanted to go to Kenya though, because of all the people I know, I think Kenya has really thought about her personal brand. So I follow her on Instagram and she's always got these great photos and Mm -hmm. you really should, you know, check out her Instagram feed. But I think, you know, Kenya has really evolved this brand as a trainer. So I just wanted to ask Kenya, do you have any questions for Tanya? And maybe you could even share a little bit about how you developed your personal brand. Oh, well, thank you for all those kind words, Richard. I'll tell you in the beginning, I didn't know anything of what I was doing at all. I was just winging it when it came to social media. And I think for me, I sat down with somebody one time and they were like, you got to figure out who you want to be and what you want to be to who you're trying to target. So for me, I just wanted to leverage my own weight loss journey and struggles and trials and tribulations with fitness into my own personal brand story. And those are some of the things that I talk about. So that's when you go to my page, you'll see on there. And then obviously, you know, the partnership with Elizabeth and Richard passes to profit. I've kind of merged the two together because I believe having a strong body and having a strong business kind of go hand in hand. And so I feel like what we're doing with the show and what I'm doing in my personal life complement one another. So that's kind of been my strategy, so to speak. But what I'd like to ask you and have you talk a little bit about is how does your brand story and strategy differ from advertising? Because I think some people think it's the same thing and it's kind of not. Okay. I I love that question, Kenya. And first of all, I'll check out your Instagram account, your social media. It sounds wonderful. And it sounds to me like you've done so many of the right things. The first thing I'd like to say is there's a lot of confusion between marketing and branding. And so I decided a long time ago, let's just simplify this, take it down to the brass tacks. Marketing is utilizing different vehicles, marketing vehicles or channels to get a message and image out there to the world, right? It doesn't matter whether it's a billboard on a major interstate or a radio commercial or television or YouTube videos. Your brand is the message and image that you put into those marketing vehicles. 
that you put out there for the world to see, right? So there's a lot of confusion there. And it's a great question. They're so closely tied, right? So when you say, what's the difference between that and advertising, close cousin to marketing, of course, that's it. It's just advertising is getting the message and image out there, but the brand is the message and image that you put out there. And the biggest mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is trying to market before the brand is built. There's a lot of confusion around this too, I've got to say, because there are a lot, a lot of companies out there saying, I can help you build your brand. I can help you build your brand. But really when you dial it in, it's like they're building your website or they're helping you with a YouTube strategy, or they're building a funnel for you if you're a coach or consultant, right? But they're not building the brand and the brand that has to be built first is kind of like the foundation of a house. If you're a contractor, you can't just put windows on nothing. (laughs) You have to have that foundation. I've been taking notes here. That's an excellent description of that. Thank you. You said some things that go into your personal brand. How important is appearance? So Richard has his brand here with his orange tie and his suit because he's an attorney and that's kind of his color now. So do you need to wear the same clothes all the time? Do you need to have your hair the same way? Like how important is appearance to that? I love to have some consistency in this punch of color, right? Richard, we're kindred spirits. You see that orange wall back there? I do. I noticed that. Yeah, (laughs) And the orange shirt that I'm wearing and the orange in the logo and the orange in the books behind me, the orange in the coffee mug, right? It's kind of like my suit that I put on every day, but no, I don't wear orange every day. But when I'm on calls like this, you know, when, when I'm on shows like this, I try to like represent, right? Because if I feel it, we say it's kind of like breathing your brand that you really want to just like own it all the time. And I just so happen to love orange, right? So it's easy for me when it comes to colors, that is, but your brand simply could just be, I'll give you a great example. There's a car dealership and this gentleman at the car dealership calls himself the best dressed car salesman, period. He doesn't even put his name on his business cards. It just says, look for the best dressed salesman. And I think it's phenomenal because you walk in and there is no question that's the guy, that's the dapper gent right over there that I'm going to be looking for. Right. And I love that. So it doesn't say he has to wear a certain color or certain suit. He could be dressed for golf that day or whatever, but he's going to be well-dressed for whatever he's doing. And I love that. I think that more than anything, you just need to be yourself. I know that sounds like a lot of fluff too, because it can be read a million different ways, but you just got to be who you are. So if Kenya in her photo, wears, you know, gorgeous dresses and beautiful clothing or whether she wears, you know, sports stuff for yoga. I don't know because I haven't been to her channel yet, but I'm going there. That's who she is. And that's representative. I just love the pop of color. I like having some consistency in every image that you have that when people are scrolling through a feed, it's like, boom, there's the orange, there's brain face, right? I like that. Wow. That was great. That was great. Yeah. I mean, I wear suits to work every day. And I did it through the pandemic, even when I was the only one in my office. But it just felt that's like my personality. And I started as an attorney, I started wearing suits a long time ago. And so that's kind of my uniform now. And most people are into the casual dress thing, which is fine. But I feel like this is what people think of when they think of an attorney. And plus, I like suits, too. So I'm trying to migrate out of the sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) I favor yoga pants myself, so I get you. Tanya, this has been great. We have to take a short commercial break back with more Passage to Profit right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit Gearheart
GearHartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Special guest, Tanya Everhart. Tanya, we were talking during the break about who you consider to be your best branded celebrities and also best branded business people too, because this is a show about entrepreneurism. This part's easy for me because we work with business stars. That's who we help. So Oprah Winfrey, Richard Branson, they weave their personal story and their mission into their business, right? And so, you know, Oprah has a story. It's a tragic story of a really rough family life, but she struggled through television. She really did an incredible job in her career, but she created those businesses as an extension of her own story. She wanted to interview other people with great stories, talk about their lives, you know, share inspiration with other people. And I think just anybody whose business is an extension of who they truly are, that's a fantastic personal brand. We want to know how you got the name Brandface. Well, I was sitting around one day thinking, okay, what am I going to call this book that I'm writing? Because before this was a business, it was actually meant to be a book series. And we have Brandface for entrepreneurs, Brandface for business owners, Brandface for home improvement professionals, et cetera. So when I was trying to think of this, I thought, okay, exactly what have I learned and what am I helping people to do? Well, I'm trying to help them become the best face of their business, the best face of their brand, put their best face out there so everybody understands how they serve, who they serve. And so the word just came together to me, brand face. So I go into the office and two people whose opinions I trust very, very much, brilliant minds. I said, what do you guys think about this name, brand face? Instantly, both of them stood back for a moment and they thought, they said, well, have you thought about this? Or I don't know about that, right? That's when my mama lion comes out, right? And it's like, oh no, I'm not having this conversation anymore. I stepped back quietly, went into my office and trademarked it. Good for you. you. We saw in the show notes that you have a lot of trademarks, so. Yes, yes. That's the reason I answered the alien question the way that I answered it, because it costs a lot. It's the intellectual property. It costs a lot to trademark things. So if you infringe on somebody's intellectual property doing those kind of things, then that is upsetting to those of us who work so hard to create those things and then to go to the trouble to trademark those things, right? That comes from just a different perspective of, hey, I've done that. I don't want anybody to steal this thing, right? Because all the information and advice and hopefully inspiration that we give people, that comes from our hearts, but don't steal my trademarks question about background stories. So a lot of us, which is kind of surprising because you always think you're the only one, but a lot of people had really tough childhoods, but how much of that do you put out there? Because pretty soon you just sound like, you know, you're whining and you're a whiny victim or something. Yeah. So how do you use that? I believe that we should share our stories as much as we're comfortable sharing, because you got to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Okay. A lot of people are doing it for two reasons. Number one, it helps them with their own therapy. It really helps them come into who they are, come into themselves, right? The other reason they're doing it is to help somebody else avoid that or deal with that in a way that makes them realize or makes them feel like they're giving back. I went through all this. I figured this out. Maybe I can help you figure that out too, or help you avoid that. So to me, it's really important. Like last year, I took on one of the most meaningful projects I've ever done. I wrote my dad's memoir and my dad is um, recovering alcoholic and addict. He was raised in North Georgia uh, in the mountains and his parents, but both my grandparents were moonshiners. And with that kind of lifestyle, because there was no industry here, we didn't have anything in the mountains of North Georgia. Then there were no jobs, you know, not very few. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did to make a living to feed their families. Well, when you're raised in that and both your parents become violent alcoholics, where does that leave you? Right. So in telling that story, it was such a cool thing to go through that with my dad. We had probably a year, year and a half worth of meetings, phone meetings, because I was in Ohio and he was in Georgia and we had phone meetings and I learned all about him and why he did the things he did. And it brought so much clarity to who he really was 
And it helped me appreciate him even more. And when the book came out, it really changed things for him. It helped him. And when I asked him, why do you want to do this? He said, to apologize to the people I've done wrong. And that was a big, big thing for him and for me. Wow, That is very, very powerful. One of our clients is a real estate agent in the Virginia area. And when we go through and do people's brand messaging, it's a very emotional time for them because it's sometimes the very first time anybody has really looked in from the outside and actually seen inside to who that person truly is, right? And how much they've really accomplished. And we call it unveiling their inner star. So Tom is his name and he puts the information in his biography document and submits it. And it says something about he had lost his son at the age of one. He drowned in the family pool. So when we pull the brand messaging together and we write the biography, I had our team intentionally put that in there at first. So I get on the call with him and our brand messaging reveal. And I say, Tom, I want to have a, a candid discussion with you for just a minute. I don't want to put out anything that you're not comfortable with, but I want to ask you, you know, a couple of things. When you meet with clients, you know, your real estate clients, does the subject of your son come up? How often does the subject of your son come up? And he said, almost always, but especially if they have small children in the home, we talk about safety issues. And that's when I knew it was very important to him to share that message. And that's the day we together decided that that part of the story would go into his biography. And so that was important to him. It's about connecting and fulfilling your own purpose in it too. That's really profound. Did it take a lot of courage for him to put that in a written document like that? Because I could see him talking about it privately with clients. I think that he wondered about it because when we had the conversation that day, he said, I don't mind putting this out there. He said, it's been six or seven years, you know, since this happened, you never really healed from something like that. But he said, I've come a long way. And that's when, you know, it was a very purposeful decision. So we talked through, okay, what does this mean? What negative impact might it have? What positive impact might it have? And we just had a super heart to heart discussion that day and decided together to make that happen. I think it was hard for him at first. But then when he realized why it meant so much to him that other people's children were safe, mm -hmm. then that made all the difference. I mean, because understanding it from his perspective, but also maybe taking it a little different if you're in a business context and you see something like that and prospective client reads it, they may feel sympathetic or they may say, hmm, you know, we have kids. Maybe this is not the right fit for us. It could. And you risk that. Right. But you risk anything right. in life. Right. I mean, you put something in a bio, somebody's going to hate it. Let's just be real. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to think it's cheesy. They're going to think it's stupid. They're going to think your logo looks ugly. I mean, somebody's going to dislike something that everyone does. I just want to attract my people, right? And he wanted to attract his people. And that's really, at the end of the day, all we can control. And you're talking about being authentic, too. That's a big piece of his authentic self at this point in his life. So is he glad that he did it? And does he feel like it's made a difference? Yeah, he's a wonderful man. And the last we talked, he was very happy he did it and felt like it was a way to kind of break the ice and kind of get that out there and get people to look at him as very, very human. Kenya, do you have any questions or comments? No, I just love that you share that, right? Because I think there's power in vulnerability and people connect to what's real. So thank you for sharing. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. So if people want to find you to work with you, where do they go? Brandfacestar.com is the best place to go. Um, you can kind of listen to our customer reviews, the video reviews, you can get free training, you can connect with us, jump right to the front of the line if you want to talk to us. So brandfacestar.com. Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, our special guest, Tanya Eberhardt, back right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years. Hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world. 
QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest, Tanya Eberhart, founder of Brandface, author and host of Beeble Branding Podcast. And I'm definitely going to check out that podcast. I think this is a fascinating topic. You know, if you can bring your personal brand into your business, I think that's you know, better for your clients, but it's also better for you, right? Well, branding has a lot more elements and goes a lot deeper than you think. And I had never realized that before hearing Tanya talk about it. So I think she's worth getting in touch with if you have questions. Absolutely. Time for Power Move. Kenya is our power mover. I'm glad that we're talking about branding stories and like how to get your brand out there and being a really good storyteller because we're going to talk about a famous TikToker today by the name of Kahabi Lame. Fortune has reported that Lame brings in about 750,000 per social media post, which is not lame at all, right? Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. That, Kenya. So how does that break down uh, per word? You know, is that- Oh um, God, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. know. It's like, can I buy one word, so, please? Yeah. I've only got $15,000. So he's got millions of followers. And I didn't get a chance to really go check out his page and like, like see what he does, but he's more, he has more like a, a lifestyle type of brand and it's working from him because he was able to land a sponsorship for $450,000 with Hugo Boss. So he's making money all over the place. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? You're not know, doing right? anything <laughs> wrong, Kenya. You're doing like great. I can't even get ten thousand dollars a post, <laughs> let alone seven hundred and fifty thousand. Well, maybe you need to start smaller. You know, like ten dollars a post or a hundred dollars. Something. Well, that's a great one. And Elizabeth. So I have a startup. It's a video directory of small businesses online. I did a lot of interviews for it through COVID. Now I'm working on getting a new website done. I also drafted a patent application for it, which had to be filed. Well, I filed the provisional. I've talked about this every week, but it's worth repeating for people that don't listen every single week. But um... <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anybody out there in that category though, right? So so if you are doing a project or an invention or anything, and you're not really sure that this is going to be what you're going to sell in the end, we advise doing a provisional patent to start that holds your filing date, which is really important because that means people that file after you don't get the rights that you get. You get them because you were there first. And then you have a year to work on what you're doing. So especially for inventions that you're going to have manufactured during that year, you want to get the prototype done and you want to make sure the factories can actually produce that prototype because a lot of times there's changes because they can't do it. But anyway, this was kind of a tech project. So I didn't have to worry about that, but I've been working with a coach and I'm part of this peer advisory group. And lo and behold, after a year, almost a year, I made a whole bunch of changes to the project. I'm a patent agent, so I can do patent work. So I basically had to rewrite my entire patent application and redo all the figures. And it was due today to be filed because the one year mark is today. So yes, it's been filed. Richard's name's on it too, because he contributed ideas to the patent as well. You know, it's funny after being in this business for 30 some years, the first time I've been an inventor on a patent. <laughs> well, congratulations. And it, but it had to be my wife's idea. So <laughs> We brainstormed together a lot about different things. And sometimes we don't even remember who came up with what idea. Like, it's... And sometimes we don't even remember anything. Well, anyway, so the patent application is filed. I am very relieved and very happy about that. We'll look forward to what happens next at the patent office. Well, let's move on. So I want to introduce our first presenter, Chris DiPaolo with Protex. Now, Chris is a client of Richard's. He has got just this amazing way of helping people build. So I'm going to let you talk about it, Chris. So welcome. Yeah, I'll give you a little background. I mean, uh, I'm a dual degree engineer from uh, Drexel University, and uh, I founded Protex in 2005 as a uh, specialized design build firm that solely focuses on high-tech manufacturing and R&D facilities for the pharmaceutical, biotechnology, medical device, specialty chemical, 
semiconductor and nanotechnology industries. We work nationally with five offices and we're headquartered out of Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. We're also the only firm that has, thanks to Richard, a patent, which is based on the method of designing and building to a targeted cost for high-tech facilities throughout the country that is a really leveraged approach in a collaborative design-build manner where we work with the best-in-class architects, engineers, qualification firms that have exact experience and the type of task that we're about to do and the type of operation that a client wants to achieve. So this approach really brings together a key team of 150 to 200 years of experience that know exactly the type of process and operations they're trying to achieve. And it's a really a leveraged model at the very formative stage of a project for a client. What you're saying is really interesting because I have never worked with a contractor that takes a budget and then works backwards to make it work. And I've dealt with a lot of contractors, right? And the price always goes up, you know? When you're in these industries that he's in, because people think these industries are just bottomless wells of money, right? Right. (laughs) Right. And, And especially when you're in the technical areas, like you were saying, where there's all sorts of compliance issues and safety issues and zoning regulations and all this other stuff. How often do you actually hit the target when it comes to installations that you've done? Pretty much 95% of the time. What we do is it's really key for us to get the cost structure from a client, get their budget out of them. So a lot of clients don't want to tell you their budget, right? Because they think if they tell you the budget, you're going to spend all of it more, right? So, but we know what a facility will cost between A and C, right? And there's low range and there's high range. And those ranges really change based on the approach to the system designs and redundancy and risk profile. A lot lot of factors go into that, but we have to get them aligned that we know we can build it between A and C. If they're minus A (laughs) in their mindset, then we basically, say, you go find someone that can do for that and call us when it doesn't work because we, we know it can't be done for that <laughs> from our standpoint. You know, so it's really important to get that understanding of where their budget is. And then, yeah, we work from their process and understand their performance, conformance, compliance, time to market needs, but all driven toward a cost goal structure. So when we give that ROM, which we call rough order magnitude price up front, the dollar per square foot number based on some formative stage of a program, at the end of the day, we hit that about 95% of the time within a two or 3% range of what we said it was going to be from the beginning when we finish. I'm not sure everybody knows what design build is. So can you explain what design build is? There's many forms of design build. So prior to starting Protex, I worked in a different form of design bill. We called it integrated design bill, where the one firm I worked for had all the engineers, had all the architects, had all the construction people, had all the compliance people all in-house. I ran, I was in that firm for 15 years, became principal. I ran, we grew to nine offices nationwide, 300 people was great. But it was frustrating to me as an owner and a principal in the firm. I couldn't get the projects tailored to the client's needs, the specific client need that we had at the time. I always had to bring in my engineering team who wasn't busy. The guys that weren't utilizing the firm, I had to use them to help design the facility. Now they may come from with a knowledge base that they don't know how to do a, it's a a tablet manufacturing facility. They do labs and that's the guy I got to use. Or he worked with a big pharma company like a Merck or a Pfizer, where they have a platinum approach to design and risk tolerance. Right. And I'm working for a startup biotech company that can't afford that level of design. So it was very frustrating. And when I formed Protex, I decided there's no way we're going to have in-house engineering. We're going to have a collaborative design build methodology, which is ours, where we work with the best in class. We pick the best firms, get the principals of those firms on our team, subcontracted under us, where then we design and build. And it's one single point of accountability from a client standpoint. We hold all the contracts. And the difference in design build versus design bid build, where you design it in a vacuum of any builders, and then you put on the street with drawings, is that... We own performance. We own what the client has. If he says, I need this temperature, I need this humidity, I need this purity in my water system, I need whatever redundancy for my HVAC system, backup power, or what have you, we owe it to them regardless of the drawings say. We own a performance spec, whereas in design, bid, build, the contractors only own what's on the drawings. And if something is missed, it's a change order. So we have very limited change orders unless a client puts in new scope or demands a new space or changes something that we already agreed upon. That seems like a better way to go. Probably much better way to go than having the two entities completely separate, right? Correct. Definitely a gap. Think about it. The communication is now on the onus of the client 
who's probably never maybe even built a facility. He may be a scientist, right? right? Who's coming out of a university who never built a facility. Now he's got to communicate all the things he told the engineers and then communicate that to the construction people. He's in the middle and he's not experienced at doing that. Or he's a guy that maybe did one project in the past, you know, 20 years versus having us take the lead and and we're going to, you know, keep him in the loop and inform him as much as possible. What I find on any project, any building project, is communication is like oh. the hugest thing. We actually do a complete write-up of a basis of design criteria of exactly what we're delivering, what we're doing, who's furnishing it, how to do it. And we do this all in an open book approach. So we're fully auditable. We go out and competitively bid everything that we go purchase or subcontract with. So we get three bids or more. If a client says over $10,000, I want to have three bids. So he's getting three bids and we're doing the analysis and equaling them out and then giving a recommendation. He signs off ultimately what he buys. So he knows exactly what he's getting every time. Tanya, do you have a question or comment? I really love the clarity and the expectations. You know, if your client knows what they can expect from you, 99% of the time you will never have an issue. That's correct. Chris, how can people find you? We are located on uh, LinkedIn, of course, Protex Inc. On LinkedIn, as far as www.linkedin.com company Protex. We're on YouTube as well. We have our website, which is ProtexInc.com, which is very informative. And we're also on Twitter. P-R-O-T-E-C-S-I-N-C.com, right? Correct. Excellent. (laughs) So I want to get a good night's sleep tonight. So I want to talk to Martha Lewis with the Complete Sleep Solution. Martha, I want to hear what you have and how you came up with it. I want to hear the story. So I really get to the root cause of why people can't sleep and go beyond the basic sleep advice that you read everywhere and looking for underlying health issues that are affecting sleep, like gut health and hormone balance and heavy metal toxicity and more. And then I also help with the mental aspect of not being able to sleep you know, any anxiety and worry people have about sleep, which is really common if you struggle to sleep for a while and help with stress in life in general, because stress in the mind affects the body over time and can cause the body to break down. And so it's really important to look at both the body and the mind when overcoming something like insomnia. You had a parasite that was keeping you awake at night. How'd you find out about the parasite? Well, it was kind of a long journey and, you know, like Tanya was talking about, this has come from my story and my own struggle with sleep, which started in late pregnancy, which I figured was just hormones. There wasn't much I could do about it, but then it continued after my son was born, after I had actually hired a sleep consultant to help with his sleep and become a sleep consultant to help parents with their baby sleep. I still wasn't sleeping. And for me, it looked like I would try to go to bed early because I was so tired, but it would take me forever to fall asleep. And then I would wake up at three or four in the morning and not be able to go back to sleep till six when my son was waking up. And so I did a lot of searching for a long time and tried all the things that you read, which is, okay, I'll stop watching TV before bed. I'll stop eating chocolate before bed. I'll stop drinking coffee. I'll exercise every day. And those things didn't really help. And so luckily I have a background in nutrition. I've been in the health and wellness space for a long time. And so I learned about the certification for becoming certified to look at functional labs. So looking at gut health tests and hormone balance and things like that to find out what was going on in my body that was keeping me from sleeping. And so I found out I had a parasite that I probably had for 13 years from when I was traveling in Asia. And the thing about parasites is that they are most active at night. So one of the tests I do is a stool test that shows what's living in the gut. So it's looking for pathogens like a parasite, bad bacteria, also looking at good bacteria and digestion and pretty much an overall snapshot of gut health. I actually work with people virtually because they do the test in their home and send them back to the lab. It does take about a month to get the test results back that I do. So in the meantime, I'm sending them an intake questionnaire, similar to what you would fill out for a doctor or any kind of health practitioner. But I'm also asking a lot of questions about their habits, about their diet, about their lifestyle, things like that, so that we can get started making some changes in those areas while we're waiting for the test results. Gut health is a huge factor in sleep because the good bacteria make our neurotransmitters. They actually make up to 90% 
90% of the neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and GABA that help us feel relaxed and sleepy. And again, if there's a pathogen in your gut that's awake at night, like that's going to keep you awake. So the gut is a huge role in sleep for sure. Tanya, do you have a question or comment? I love your story. Like you took something that was very important to you. It was a challenge. You figured it out through blood, sweat, and tears and probably a lot of money, right? And then you turn that into a solution for somebody else. I mean, it's it's what we do as human beings. And what I really love about it is how unique it is, right? Nobody's ever going to forget that story. They're just not. Martha Lewis with the Complete Sleep Solution. So how do people find you? Yeah, so my website is thecompletesleepsolution.com and I'm on Facebook and Instagram under my business name as well. And I also have a podcast called The Insomnia Fix. You are listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest today, Tanya Eberhart, a branding specialist. And if you missed any of it, our podcast will be out tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. GearheartLaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearheartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to profit. Our special guest was Tanya Eberhardt. She is a personal branding expert. We're not done yet though. We have a question for everybody who participated in the program today. This is the fun part. And the question today is, what was your favorite science fiction show or movie or character? And we're going to start with Tanya. I'm going to tank this segment of your show right now (laughs) because I don't like science fiction anything. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, so, who, so you know, who's, who's the best branded actor then? The best branded actor. One of those would probably be Robert Downey Jr. He's a good one. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. There's, uh, there's so many that run across my mind, but all I'm thinking about right now is before the show, when you guys said you were going to ask this question, I went to Google straight away and looked for science fiction movies, hoping I had seen one. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> so, wait, so wait, 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 why don't you like science fiction? I don't know. It, it's just the fictional part of it, right? Uh, like right. I'm more of a nonfiction kind of a person. I like the serial killer stuff and the murder and mayhem stuff. <laughs> See, true I, crime, I think we're right? a lot about your personal brand right now. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's frightening sometimes, but I can say this. Robert Downey Jr. played Iron Man. Yes. And I can assume that that would be considered science fiction, right? Yes. Okay, there you go. That's my favorite one. All right, you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. We got there. Okay, so Chris. Yeah, so mine, uh, and I watched every episode, Star Trek is oh, my favorite. Uh, favorite, And Captain Kirk would be my favorite character on the show. So 
Absolutely. I assumed that somebody would say Star Trek, right? I mean, <laughs> and so you're the first one out of the gate, but yeah. How can you be a science fiction person and not like Star Trek? Right. Yeah. So Martha, who was yours? Well, I have to say I'm not really a science fiction person either. So what comes to mind was Star Trek for me too. And I have memories of sitting on my dad's lap after he got off work watching Star Trek. And I thought Captain Kirk was so handsome and Spock was really cool. <laughs> so that's my... <laughs> That's my science fiction. So for Martha, if she wants to go to sleep, she puts on a science fiction movie <laughs> and that does the trick. Got it. Well, there was some action ones, a lot of action ones. So yeah, maybe okay. not. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> hey, what about you? The trouble with tribbles. Yeah. So Don't Look Up came out, I think like oh, yeah. last year mm-hmm. or the year before with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought that was a great movie. And again, like I don't watch a ton of science fiction, but I thought that was a good one. And I, you know, love Leonardo DiCaprio. So, so that was that, was, that was the movie where the asteroid was coming toward Earth and nobody mm-hmm. would believe it. And right. half the people wouldn't believe it. Half the people wouldn't believe it. And they all died <laughs> in the end. Okay. So Richard, what's yours? <laughs> There's so many, but I would say the movie The Martian with Matt yes, Damon. I've watched that like a ton of times because mm-hmm. here's this guy stranded on Mars, right? All by himself and everything goes to heck and he has to survive using his own ingenuity. So I really enjoyed watching him kind of think through all of the technical problems that he had and he made it in the end. So I thought yes. that was a great movie. Very inspiring. Yes. Me. So this was Richard's question, but I'm really torn between three. So he said I could say all three. Who can ever forget the scene if they watch this of an alien exploding out of a guy's chest? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so alien was one. Well, for, thanks for, for bringing for that up. I won't be sleeping tonight. <laughs> Men in Black's hilarious. I don't know if you watch that. Love Men in Black. But I have to say, I think that this was a societal changing movie. This last one. And that was the first Star Wars. I know you Star Trek fans are like, no, no, Star Trek, not Star Wars. I like them both. There's a difference. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So with that. So with that. We had as our guest, Tanya Eberhardt with Brand Face. She is a personal branding expert and author. She has her own podcast, Be Bold Branding. And her website is brandfacestar.com. I learned a lot today listening to Tanya. I'm going to pay attention to this and check out her podcast for sure. And then we had Krista Palo, Protex, P-R-O-T-E-C-S, Inc.com. He helps people design and build industrial buildings. So what's special about what he does is he really has a great method for controlling cost, which if you've ever worked uh, with Who this wants kind to of... control costs on a building project? I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and then we had Martha Lewis with The Complete Sleep Solution, and that's her website, The Complete Sleep Solution. And it was really interesting talking to her. And I think I have to talk to her some more. Yeah, she really takes it from a different perspective. And like she said, a lot of the remedies haven't worked for people. And so I think this is definitely something I'm also going to check out. I don't need instructions for falling asleep on the sofa. Anyway, we won't get into that. We won't get into that. But before we go, I'd like to thank the Passage to Profit team, Noah Fleischman, our producer, Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. Our podcast can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast. Just look for the Passage to Profit show. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information on this program is believed to be correct, never take a legal step without checking with your legal professional professional first. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week.